With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Old Lady Speaks podcast on black and white and red all over. This is your host, Danny, coming to you with only one of the usual crew today. We are with noted author and all-around good guy, Chucks. So let me bring Chucks in right away and we'll get to get to why we're here. Hello, Chucks. Hey, hey, and uh, thank you for the kind words. Uh, <laughs> and obviously, I have to thank you as well for the opportunity uh, to talk to the community. And uh, yeah, let's... Uh, Let's get the ball rolling. Well, I was going to say that Italy beat your native Netherlands yesterday, yeah. but I didn't want to bring that up. But I guess yeah. you opened that door for me. So uh, deserved. It was deserved victory. <laughs> it was. Uh, yeah, they were poor, poor, poor performance, but they're still in a kind of state of flux because of uh, Kuman leaving and uh, the assistant manager. I think uh, Dwight Lodeveges, I think is his name. So uh, yeah, you can say bit, that name uh, better than I can. So I'm, I'm <laughs> it's funny because he has like an English first name, like Dwight, and then, Dwight. You know, so that's funny. It's not Dwight Schrute, <laughs> is it? <Yeah. laughs> All right. The reason why we're here today is because Chucks has penned his second book. This one is entitled "You Say Soccer, I Say Football." It is coming out officially on December first. However, you can get it now for pre-order in an ebook on Amazon. And you can also get it on Barnes and Noble. And basically what I just wanted to do with this edition is to talk about Chuck's book. And since, you know, we 
are obviously writers and you know i have a journalistic background and chucks has obviously a much longer word count wise than i do for any single thing we'll start there how did how did this book come about how did being a juventus fan play into it and how much did just your fandom of this sport just kind of fuel your your writing process yeah so it's funny actually i don't i try throughout the writing of the book to not specifically bring in juventus too much because i don't want to seem too like biased and stuff and like i don't want to seem like oh this guy's just talking about juve and stuff which i mean at some points i do i mean i reference them obviously a few times but and i declare an interest at the beginning <laughs> but i think you know the first kind of inkling of an idea came when uh so i i use this website uh cora a lot which you know some of you guys might know it's a q a website uh, hence the kind of funky name but yeah i was just kind of wandering about on the website and uh, i saw this guy that had posted a question about like you know why do sports fans care so much about sports or why do football fans cry all the time and go so crazy over over a game you know and this one guy was like answer he's like yeah i also think it's ridiculous it doesn't make any sense you know why do people care so much there's war there's poverty there's inequality in the world and we're, we're going crazy over uh, this kind of game in which, you know, 22 players kick a ball around for 90 minutes. And uh, as Gary Lineker would say, uh, the Germans always win at the end. <laughs> so, um, which is always such a great quote. But yeah, so I thought, okay, well, good question. But there is an answer. There, there is like a legitimate answer. Like, okay, sure. It's a lot of it is a bit overblown. And yes, we get a little too emotional about the game, but there is a serious side to it. There is a side to it that, you know, teaches you about leadership skills, about individual players, about, you know, honor, about losing correctly, about style of play, about sticking to your principles, regardless of, you know, orders from your superiors. <laughs> and just, yeah, just very serious sides to the game that I think if people, fans specifically, Juventus fans and just sports fans and football fans, in general, if they just knew about that and could use that to explain to people that criticize them, then I think people would take them more seriously. Because I think, you know, one crucial flaw that we all have as sports fans and all have as football fans is that we cannot explain rationally why we love what we love. Like, absolutely. I mean, we really were just terribly bad at it. And that's our fault. <laughs> and so this is kind of my attempt to fix that, to say, okay, let's be kind of better at like explaining this and not just being like, well, it's, it's the best, bro. It's like, how can you not like this? Like, I mean, of course, if I heard that from someone, I'll be like, Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Cool story. bro. <laughs> you know? So yeah, I mean, it, it is my attempt to bring a bit of a dose of seriousness and, and rationality into it, into, you know, why we love the game and why, you know, I support Juventus and, and just through following it, you know, I have some quotes from, uh, I put in a quote from Chiellini and my, and and uh and buffon as well yes and buffon those three i remember i quoted throughout the pretty, book pretty good guys to quote yeah yeah i mean very wise <laughs> very very wise guys you know and uh actually just in reference to um uh, sergio's recent article about Iguain, i i do have i think it's actually the second chapter or the third chapter uh no second chapter sorry second chapter in which uh, i talk pretty extensively about Iguain and just about his whole choker status and what kind of the bigger lesson is behind that, you know? And well, spoiler alert, 
bigger lesson behind it is that people always remember your failures and not your successes. So I think that's kind of a good example there of like, you know, you take something from football and, it's, and well, I did, you know, took something from football and then showed how, okay, there's a bigger lesson behind this, you know, um, that could help you in life and work and in everything. So, yeah. The first thing that struck me is, is the title because it, it is almost kind of our friendship. <laughs> you're, you're the European side of it. You call it football. I'm obviously, yeah. I've obviously grown up in America, you know, in the U S so. I've called it soccer for years. And I think the more and more I've talked to you is the more and more I've kind of adapted it as football in my writing, mm -hmm. at least for the blog. But speaking of the, that writing, as you know, I'm a writer myself outside of the blog, mm -hmm. you know, a thousand words for me is a lot. It's usually <laughs> what my post game thread comes into. And that's right. something that's kind of just jumbled together into hopefully something somewhat coherent in 30 or 45 minutes. Your book, as we were saying earlier, is close to 70,000 words. So, you know, it was basically a season worth of postgame threads for me. But the thing that popped out to me besides the word count was just how, you know, a lot of, obviously a lot of sports writers do sports books over the course of their career. But for you, what was this process like and how did you just really just kind of be able to get it going to where it ended up in an actual book. And, you know, obviously you've got four, you know, four different parts to it that we'll, we'll get to in a minute, but just kind of how did you get to where it was, you know, something resembling what a, you know, what a, what a book could be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually before I answer that, I <laughs> just saw the title. It's like, I always like to think that I have a romantic answer to everything. Well, not to everything, <laughs> actually. Um, so with the title, really, it was kind of a pragmatic thing. So I wanted to, I wanted to get both soccer and football into my title because I was like, okay, well, there are people that look for that search for football, and then there are people that search for soccer, but I don't want to get them both, you know? So I was like, how could I get them you both? You just oh, going right. for the clicks with this title. That's what Bas you want. <laughs> basically, it was an SEO <laughs> little plot. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It was basically a search engine optimization, you know, gimmick, which just happens to end up as a decent title. So I mean, not going to lie. <laughs> but yeah, no, to, to, to answer your question then about like the process, I mean, I think for me, the process is I just have... I always think about, okay, what is everything that I want to say about this topic? So specifically football, what is, what is everything that I want to say about football? And then I open up a Microsoft Word document and I just put everything, bullet points, all my ideas, every single thing that I want to say, I just put it out there. And then, you know, I go back through it and I think, okay, here are some themes. Okay. These two topics are kind of the same. Let me put them together. These two are the same. Okay. And then you slowly start to see, okay, I'm seeing a theme here. That's one chapter. And then there's another theme here. That's another chapter. And then you just write, like just, I just write everything I want to say. Like in this first process, you know, the first step, there's no filter. There's no editing really. You just say, I just say everything I want to say. And then, you know, I'll go, I'll go through it again and then realize like, well, this one topic really only has like three paragraphs. So, I mean, there's not really much there, but what I do then, and I learned this from, I forget from who, but another writer, I don't delete that. I just write that as a blog post on my website. You know, any kind of chapter, I think eh, it's not good enough for a chapter in the book. I just put it up as a blog post on my website. 
And, you know, that works pretty well, actually. So it's, it just starts from this process of like everything to like slowly filtering it down as a funnel, kind of like everything and then a little less, a little less, a little less. And then you just filter down, filter down to like, okay, here are the really important things. Because I remember another writer, uh, she's a, actually, she's a baker. I don't know how I even came across her, but on a business podcast. But anyway, her name, I think is Dana Schultz or Schultz. She basically had like a golden rule of writing. She said, get to the point as quickly as possible because nobody cares. (laughs) People have no attention spans. Nobody cares. So just get to the point as quickly and as loudly as possible. And I mean, I, I think there's no better way of saying it than that, really. It's funny, this, I have almost 70,000 words and that's my version of getting to the point. So imagine <laughs> how much I have to cut. I have to cut, I mean, thousands and thousands of words yeah. uh, for my first draft. I mean, it was, it was a mess, but hey, that's how it happens. <laughs> I, can, I can confirm that journalism professors told all of us get, you know, especially the writers get to the point. That's, that's what your lead is, so. There are four parts, as we mentioned, to this book, the individual, the team, society, and football, and then kind of the philosophy of the game. How did, how did you decide on those four? And, I mean, did they kind of just jump out right away, or were you kind of – was that just something you figured out kind of as, as, the, as the process went along? Yeah, this was, this was really quite an organic process, how those four parts came about. Because it was indeed, like, throughout that process I just described of, like, you know, you write everything and then you slowly – kind of theme you you chunk it out in the themes and you start to realize okay these four bullet points are kind of talking about the same thing let's put them all to one side these four or five are kind of talking about the same thing let's put them to one side and then i just realized like everything that i had left basically was either talking about a pl- like the player the issues of a player specifically or issues of the team or of like the intersection between society and football and then actually, I'll say the fourth part, the philosophy of football was kind of my miscellaneous <laughs> uh, category where I was kind of like, ah, I mean, this doesn't really fit anywhere. But I was like, ah, it's kind of like out there, philosophical. So I was like, ah, philosophy of football. And then I thought of my good friend, my good Dutch friend, uh, Louis van Gaal, who uh, once, uh, I think on some interviews when he was at, as he likes to say it, Manchester United, you'd say, uh, my philosophy the football is that we play. We play. And I just, that guy is like, he's the butt of every joke. I mean, that guy is like. He was, uh, he was perfect for the Vine era of video clips. I can just, <laughs> he was just brilliant. Say. I mean, my favorite one was probably when he, he talked about himself in third person. And he was like, yeah, the, the, the fans, the, when they see my team play, you can see, you hear them chanting in the in the crowd. They say Louis Von Gaal's army, yes. Louis Von Gaal's army. I'm like, this guy's lost. I'm just thinking I'm of all lost. the funny videos that came out uh, of that that one clip. So. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's it's great. But but yeah, no, that that's kind of how I came about. You know, really mainly the three parts, and then the fourth part was kind of I knew there was something there. I knew that they're definitely good topics, but I kind of had to like. Yeah, I kind of have to put him in a sort of a miscellaneous category. But yeah, I, th- I think it, it still describes it pretty well, the philosophy of football. Obviously, you, you've mentioned that you, you've, you've met, you talk about Higuain in the book. I believe in previous posts you've written for the, for the site, you've, you've talked about 
at least name dropping Allegri once or twice. <laughs> you know, how, how much did kind of the, the recent, I don't know, I don't know if characters are the right word, but the recent personalities and everything at Juventus, how much did they play into kind of at least a, a jumping off point into certain topics that you wanted to, to discuss? Because obviously you look at, you know, what, what's going on not only in Juventus now, but obviously, you know, society and, and football are kind of intertwined at this point and you know they're they're very much you know individuals that you can spotlight and teams I mean not just your favorite team but just teams and teams in general so I guess the the long way to get it is how much did Juventus play into just the kind of like the foundation for 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 you in this book yeah a lot a lot I mean so I I definitely with some Juventini I looked for you know I looked for players that were kind of that weren't just players, but that were kind of, they were more, they were gentlemen. They were, you know, just human beings besides players. Uh, and no surprise that I, you know, quote Claudio Marchisio, Gianluigi Buffon, and Giorgio Chiellini, I quote as well. And then, of course, you know, I talk extensively about Iguain because I just think that these players, they kind of capture the spirit of the book, which is, Sure, they're players and they, you know, they play the game and they earn a, earn a living and all that, but they have thoughts beyond the game. They have lives beyond the game and they really, and they, they, they speak out about that. You know, they, they really do talk about just their, their lives beyond football. And I'm sure everyone will remember that one interview, which I don't, I mean, I don't talk about this in the book, but that one interview that Buffon had with, I think it was UEFA, but, or maybe it was Football Italia, about his like depression basically and just about you know how he struggled with mental health as a player as a human being and i talk about mental health in football pretty extensively as well there are there were some studies done not that many actually it was really difficult to find like studies about mental health with footballers but there were some studies done indeed about you know life after the game and i actually use a book uh, i read a book for just to do the research for this called uh, retired what happens to ooh, let me wait let me get the exact title of the book i forget what the, i always forget the subtitles of the book oh yeah retired what happens to players when the game is up by uh, alan gernan gernan i think uh, that's how you pronounce it and yeah he just really talks about like you know what happens to these individuals like after you know once they retire, once indeed, once the game is up, uh, what do they do, you know? And I found a study by uh, Dr. David Blakelock, Teesside University, that found that 55% of footballers suffered from clinical levels of psychological distress just 21 days after being released from an academy. Um, I talk about, you know, stories of people taking their own lives after they, you know, get rejected by academies. Young players, you know, taking, like, just committing suicide after yeah after they're rejected by academies and just the real strain there is on players psychologically physically as well there's another case of in 2009 a young man he was released by an academy prematurely and then he started doing amateur drug dealing and he died after swallowing 19 packets of cocaine and the packets burst in his stomach and you know, these are just tragic stories and I use them to just show like, look, we think that footballers are all overpaid and glamorous and, you know, super living in superstar mansions, but really the majority of them don't. 
there's this great quote I use by this player, an Italian defender who was chose to remain anonymous. He said that, you know, when, when footballers talk about receiving a pension, people la- look at me and laugh in my face. And it's like, but the guy is serious. I mean, he's serious because most footballers, they don't earn a lot of money, you know? So, and then he says like, look, I am the common footballer. I'm the common man and I need a pension just like you. And people laugh at him in his face. They're like, because they think of Messi, they think of, you know, uh, Ronaldo. And they're like, get out of here. You know? <laughs> so those are the kinds of stories I, I try to look at and try to focus on. And, you know, with Juventus, bringing it back to Juventus, you know, I talk, talk about Allegri as well. One interview in which he talked about kind of data versus kind of the individual superstar. Um, he, you know, criticized media and and analysts for focusing just too much on data and like saying like look at the end of the day it is the stars and the champions that that win games so yeah i really just kind of look at what do individual people like in the game say and then what is kind of a bigger lesson behind that that i can take and really expand on and i use a lot of data a lot of research to uh yeah to make my point because i felt like i needed data to support my point to again show like why it's more serious. You know, as you're talking, you know, I had the uh, Chiellini interview. I think I believe it was after they beat Tottenham in the Champions League, right after uh, a story passed away, and he mm-hmm. was talking about kind of the forget if I know it was kind of him in his in his broken English, but he was kind of I think he said the last chows or whatever that they're going <laughs> to go at, at a, a story's funeral, and then obviously Buffon. His his mental health struggles. I, I believe most recently you talked about in the Players Tribune, both in yeah, that was probably it. That was and a written, yeah. written piece, and that was obviously, you know, being the Buffon fanboy that I am, that's obviously something that that really kind of hit close to home because you know you you see these grand athletes, and you know we just see them for a couple hours every week. We don't you know we don't see what's going on in the personal lives and anything. So. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah, but I think, you know, your writing obviously on the on the site has involved a lot of quotes. You're, you're pretty, you quote the most, you know, you, you quote probably the most wide array of people uh, <laughs> that, that I've seen anybody quote. And I mean, they're obviously relevant to what you're talking about, but. You know, is is there a favorite section in this book that you have, or or one that kind of stands out to you that you're like, I I did a I did a really damn good job with, with this part. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was thinking about that the other day. I was I was telling my girl. I think I told her that um, my girlfriend the other day that like you know so I'm obviously editing my work, and then sometimes I just read through some of my stuff. I'm like, oh wow, I'm actually. I'm actually a decent writer. I mean, like, that's actually good. I'm like, whoa. Don't, I do the same thing. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'll just read a paragraph. I'm like, man, that was actually good. <laughs> uh, so that's, you know, it's always delightful to, to kind of realize that. But I think I'll say a favorite chapter slash part. Well, okay. I'll say the f- favorite part, which is 
part three, Football and Society, which is my favorite because I think it's the most important in the bigger picture of things, just in terms of bigger picture of football and of society, obviously, as a whole. That was my favorite part because it was actually the most difficult to write. Uh, I leaned on uh, one documentary, which I think Dre Steline uh, recommended to me. So thank you, Dre. Which is called uh, Le Bleu, uh, une, une autre histoire, histoire de France, or de Le Bleu. I'm it's glad you said that, French. not me, because <laughs> yeah, your, your French historia. accent is a lot better. Than <laughs> so let me let me wait. Let me say that again. Le Bleu, une uh, autre histoire de France. Ooh, that was difficult. Sounds good. Um, so it was on Netflix. I watched on Netflix. I think Netflix then re kind of, you know, they always redo their database and stuff. So I think it's not on Netflix anymore, but it's a phenomenal documentary. I mean, it's so, so good. I think that is the best documentary I've seen that shows um, both football and society, like how the discussions of society play out in football. And uh, Lilian Thuram is obviously in, in the documentary. And he says, you know, quite simply, he says, uh, le sport et le politique. Sport is politics. And, you know, that part, writing that part, and just specific, uh, specifically the chapter about, like, that documentary was my favorite because, you know, there were so many things I just learned about French football specifically, but football in general and just how... I mean, I, I think people turn to football a lot as an escape, as an escape from just the issues of their lives and just the, the less cheerful side of their lives, really. And, and like I said, I think this part just really answers that question of like, why do people care so much in the most rational and most like humane manner? Because I, I talk about Las Barras Bravas, the uh, Argentine, uh, I guess, ultra groups, you want to say. And there's this great article on the guardian in which um, a person just kind of went out and like interviewed them. And, you know, this one guy just says like, you know, when I'm in the stadium, I, I am somebody like, you know, in my regular life, I'm nobody. People pass me on the street. They, they look away. I uh, pick cardboards for my, for a living. Uh, my kids live in, you know, a crime infested uh, neighborhood with poverty. They, we have like no running water. But then when I walk into the stadium and I'm banging the drums, I am somebody. And I think that just is just a very humane way of looking at like, okay, you know, people turn to these things as indeed as a way to escape just from like, you know, their regular, the ills of their lives and just the, the problems of their lives. And, you know, I think looking at them that way just gives a far more empathetic way of, of, of looking at like why, well, in this case, hooligans, but just people in general turn to these kinds of things, turn to football, turn to sports, turn to art, turn to music, entertainment, any kind of, any kind of like artistic endeavor. And actually, um, I quote also uh, Christian Picciolini, who is uh, not football related. <laughs> actually, he is a reformed neo-Nazi skinhead, Emmy Award winning television producer, and uh, he's written two books about basically extremism and how you know he was a neo-nazi and how he got out of it and basically his his point is like you know people turn to extremism any form of extremism as an outlet for the lack of he says icp identity community and purpose 
So, you know, a lack of like identity, community and purpose is why people often just, you know, turn to these kinds of things, turn to football or turn to sports or just turn to, yeah, any kind of like group endeavor, endeavor in which they can forget about all the bad sides of life and, and just, you know, or drugs even, I mean, as well. So, so, I mean, I think that writing that chapter and writing that part really made me see like, wow, you know, like, you know, behind the hooligans, behind the supposed crazy people, there are human beings behind that human beings who, you know, just like you and me just want simple things in life. Obviously we've, we go back years and years and years. I mean, we go back to before we were on SB nation and we were part of the kind of the, the OG Uve offside crew. So we've, <laughs> yes. we've, we've, we've been buddies for at least 10 years, but you know, yes. this, this community that we're a part of, and obviously now we're on a, a platform that is different from where we started, but what kind of has this community meant to you in terms of how you view the sport and just kind of how you view fandom from a different part? Cause obviously we're not sitting in the, in the stadium. We're not, you know, going to Italy. I mean, you grew up in Europe, so you're a lot more familiar with it firsthand than, than I might be, but how has kind of this specific sect of, of fans kind of help shape your, your fandom if, if, if at all? Yeah. Yeah. It definitely has. Yeah. I think the main thing I learned from kind of being part of this community is that, I mean, it's a very cosmopolitan, you know, group. I mean, there are people from, you know, from Lebanon, from, from Australia, from Indonesia, from, I mean, I've heard people, or seen people uh, write on the, bl- on the blog, on, on the website from all over the place. Uh, I think, you know, the main thing I've realized is just that, you know, everybody wants to be a part of something like, you know, and it, it makes sense. I mean, as human beings just go back all the way in our evolution, we are very tribal creatures. We want to be part of a tribe. Again, as you know, Christian Picciolini said, the identity, the community, the purpose, like <clears throat> just seeing, seeing the community part of that you know we really people want to be a part of something and i mean no matter how simple or how or how seemingly impersonal it is because i mean i've never i've never met in person every anyone from from either the offside or from uh you know black and white and red all over you know, I've never met you in person, <laughs> actually, either. So. A lot of Zoom calls, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We started this podcast, a lot of Zoom calls. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you I've, know, seen, it, I've seen the decoration behind you develop. So, yes. you know, you know, the last few months, you've actually decorated the walls and what I will assume is your office. And yes. you know, now I'm recording in my office rather than my kitchen table. So you can see a little <laughs> bit of my office. So, you know, we're, we're step, we're stepping up here as, as time goes on and we get more familiar with each other on the zoom calls. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I mean, I have to say that the decoration, uh, I mean, that's all my girlfriend really. Um, <laughs> I mean, she, uh, yeah, she ordered basically everything and well, she just kind of organized it. So, you know, Thank you. Uh, shout out to Andrea. <laughs> but yeah, no, definitely, like I said, like being part of the community just showed me like, and that, there is a chapter in my book called Representation in which, you know, I talk about how people want, you know, football is the best way of making people feel represented. And I think just, again, being part of this community just kind of showed me that again, like how much people want to be represented 
Or as uh, Cesar Luis Menotti once said, you know, to be a footballer means being a privileged interpreter of the feelings and dreams of thousands of people. And I mean, I think that, you know, sums it up pretty, pretty well. <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I, I keep looking at, you know, the the four different parts I have written down. And kind of the, the individual part is self-explanatory. You know, we've, we've touched on that. Same with the team. And, I mean, philosophy, it, it, it depends. It's, you know, obviously, Italians might have different philosophy than, say, you know, people who, who grew up in, in the Netherlands, like like yourself. But... You know, the the part that seems to be sticking out is just the societal part of how mm-hmm. you know this this game may vary from different spots. And I mean, for you, knowing where you grew up and now where you live, how have you kind of seen? And you know, obviously, the Netherlands is a whole lot different than probably where you are in Ohio. But how have you kind of seen society progress in terms of? just their kind of appreciation and like you mentioned earlier, just kind of their dependence on this game to get away from, you know, the usual BS of, of what's going on. And I mean, especially in these days where there is so much going on and then, you know, you can just really try and leave everything for, for a couple hours while, you know, you're watching Juventus grind out a one, nothing win over a team that's about to get relegated in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Yeah, not that yeah, I'm no. still bitter about any of those last <laughs> season. You know. Oh no, don't worry. I, uh, yeah, <laughs> the less less said, the better. Really. <laughs> no, I think one of the things I was most surprised about was well, let me say that differently. I think I had a theory that it was going to be this way, but I was, I guess, surprised by how pronounced this was. Which is that you know, football is just a mirror of society, and like. I've always said this, but there are no footballing problems. There are only societal problems that play out in football, that manifest themselves in football. And, you know, just writing that part, I realized, like, really, you know, in some strange way, as much as you want to use football to escape from kind of life, there are so many parts and issues of life that just play out right there again on the pitch, you know, one of them. So I talk kind of about three or four topics in this part. So one of them is inequality. Um, you know, we've seen this in football, I mean, hugely so. Just the dramatic um, levels of inequality there are between clubs, between countries, between continents, frankly. The financial gulf in, in between clubs is uh, it's increasing ever more. And Miguel Delaney of The, the Independent, he wrote uh, this really great two-piece report, which I also rely on heavily, uh, in one of the chapters in which he just show he really breaks it down in terms of data, like how much in terms of results and financially, you know, the rich are getting richer and the poor are just falling behind. And that happens in society as well. I mean, we see this as well, you know, once upon a time there was Occupy Wall Street, which, you know, I was brief, but fiery. I talk about like how I think it was the 22 richest individuals. I think it was in the world that, own more than half, have more in wealth than half of the world. 
you know, put together and just the staggering levels. I mean, in the U S of course as well, but just the staggering levels of inequality in the world, just how small groups of people own more in wealth than just, I mean, half the world. I mean, that's just madness, you know? And, and once again, I mean, it's just the same issues that happened in society happened in football as well. We see this inequality there of, you know, rich, the rich getting richer. And we see the exact same in football as well. And then also with, with politics, I mean, politics playing out in football, you know, we have, that's where that great documentary about the French, uh, French national team, uh, really just, I mean, just taught me so much about how, um, I think it was, uh, Jean, Jean-Marie Le Pen, who's, uh, the father of, uh, well, the Marie Le Pen, who of course was runner up in the French presidential election against Emmanuel Macron. He said, you know, I find it, <laughs> I find it kind of artificial to recruit players from abroad and put them and then call them the French national team basically talking about how, you know, the French national team had so many players from different, you know, backgrounds. You had, you know, yeah, you have Matuidi, you have, uh, or, well, okay, sorry, this was way back. This was back in the 90s, I believe. So you had the likes of Vicente Lizrazou, Yuri Djurkev, Zinedine Zidane, of course, Christian Carambeu. I mean, all these, you know, players from, like, just different backgrounds. Uh, Marcel Desailly, of course, uh, Bernard Lama. Yeah, I mean, black players uh players it's not from, kind, like, just kind of not like the prototypical french yeah yeah exactly know, or, or i mean we see it you know less in less in italy but you know you, you know you got you know the balotellis of the world and now obviously yeah. you know you got moist and, and and you know more african or players of of african origins now exactly coming, yeah. coming up in, in italy but you know obviously you, we we look at we look at, you know, your book and, you know, it, it's, it's a ton of work, obviously, <laughs> as you've mentioned, you know, a couple of times already, it's a lot of research, but when it's all said and done, and obviously you're, you're still putting the finishing touches on it. How much fun was this process for you to knowing that it was book two and it was obviously a very different topic than book one, you know, what, you know, I guess how much fun will, will it be once you're finished, finished, <laughs> but knowing that you're, you're close to the, that finish line, what's kind of, have, have you been able to reflect on it at all and be like, okay, this is something that I can really be proud of, even though we still got a little bit of a, of a way to go before it's ready, ready to be printed and, and all that. Yeah. I, I think mentally I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> I'm still kind of like in the, you know, get it finished. Get it. I mean, it is finished. It just, you know, final edit and just the cover, the cover photo being done and just all those kind of logistical things. I don't think I'm quite there yet mentally, but, you know, two things to that. I think one is that when it's done, I really will realize that. And I had this with my first book as well, that it was a really fulfilling, I think that's probably the best word, just a very fulfilling feeling, I guess, of just like, wow, I have created a body of work, which is, you know, put out in the world all across the world, you know, to people in widest reaches of the world that are reading that some, something that I produced that actually thought that this was worth paying, you know, <clears throat> a fee for, and yeah, actually, you know, respecting me so much to actually read it. Then, I mean, that's a very humbling, very humbling thing to, to, to do. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's, it's also, you know, one of the things that inspired me just to write books in general 
was, you know, I don't want to like, I mean, okay, I'm only 27, but like, I don't want to, you know, come to the end of my life and think like, oh man, I should have like had the courage to like do something. You know, I should have had the courage to like, you know, not care about what people think and actually write something. Uh, because I, I mean, I was at that stage for a long time and just think like, oh no, people don't want to hear this. Like, no, don't like, you know, don't be so like arrogant to think that people would want to read this, you know, but eventually I just thought like, no, I don't want to have these types of regrets when I'm older. Uh, so then, yeah, then I just, you know, wrote it <laughs> um, and just kind of, yeah, and just kind of suspended my own, you know, issues and just said, yeah, like this is just a deeper sense of like personal fulfillment, I think. Speaking of personal fulfillment, and we'll we'll wrap it on the on this one. You've added the videos to your arsenal of talents. Yes. Are you enjoying your videos talking about your book, knowing that you know now you get to rock a Juventus jersey and talk <laughs> in front of the camera outside of just talking in front of the camera while we record the podcast each week? Videos are really difficult, man. <laughs> like really, really, really difficult. I mean, I had no idea. It's you know, it's, I mean, I'm very much a writer and very much not a video person. It's, I mean, it's just extraordinary. You know, I mean, when I'm writing, I can do it in like my, you know, basement. I can do it in my bed. I can do it pajamas on, uh, I don't know, drinking a beer or whatever. Video, you got to put up the lighting. You got to, you know, have the camera <laughs> centered. You got to put the microphone out of the way. You got to like, you know, make sure you're standing centered and then camera like blindly. I mean, it's a lot of work. And, you know, you say one wrong word and you got to pause and edit and cut. And it's like, yeah, I mean, it's an extraordinary amount of work. For like a three-minute video, I could spend roughly an hour from shooting, well, set up, shooting, and post, edit, and clearing up and stuff. I could, yeah, I spent up to an hour, if not more. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard, man. But it's, it's just a new skill set that I'm learning. And, you know, that's actually, funny enough, another chapter in my book that I talk about, which is uh, versatility. And just talking about how players have become more versatile over the last decades. And I just talk about like how, you know, as a, in the workforce, you know, you have to be more versatile. You have to learn more skills and be an eternal learner, you know. And here is a perfect example of that. I had to basically learn on the fly <laughs> how to do videos. But yeah, videos are kind of scary as well. I mean, it's like your voice is one thing, your writing is one thing but your voice and your face and all your quirks of your dimples on your face out on the world yeah that's a whole that's a whole different feeling of like i don't know philosophical self-acceptance <laughs> and like you know detachment and all that stuff but no, hey it's no, out there it's out no wonder there. your beard has been looking a lot more <laughs> yeah it's funny and, yeah and not to like pay attention to like you know okay is my like i don't know did i brush my hair i don't know i don't know i mean all these random things i have to like think about but once again at the end of the day it's very fulfilling to know like you know i suspended my own personal issues and just thought hey let's do this <laughs> let's put it out there all right chucks get your plugs in <laughs> so uh the best place to find out about everything about my book about well, me about my youtube videos about my social media all that fun stuff is just on my website and my website is well taking my government name here. So that's Edward. And then my middle initial is P for Patrick. So Edward P dot me because dot com was taken already. So that's take dot me. So again, that's Edward P dot me. And the best place to find out about, it, of course, my book, this book in general 
is just edwardp.me slash you say soccer. So all one phrase. So edwardp.me slash you say soccer. And uh, yeah, come on in. Come on in and join me there. <laughs> Where can we find the videos? They're up on YouTube, correct? Yeah, they are on YouTube. Like I said, the best way, my my name is kind of complicated. It's, it's Edward Patrick Ekinyemi, but that's why I just say just go to my website and my YouTube link. All the links are there. Edwardp.me slash you say soccer and my website in general, just edwardp.me. And like we said at the beginning, You Say Soccer, I Say Football will be out December 1st officially. You can pre order an ebook for $9.99 on Amazon or $11.99 on Barnes and Noble. Thank you for uh, joining me on this, Chucks, and talking about your book. It is always fun to pick the brain of a fellow writer. So I uh, appreciate Thank that. you. As always, you can follow us and subscribe on Apple iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Just search black and white and write all over and we will pop up. Write us a review and rate us there. Uh, We're also available on Spotify and Google Podcasts. So for Chucks, I only have to say one name this time. That's (laughs) such a creature (laughs) habit. I'm used to saying, and for Sam and for Sergio and for Chucks. For Chucks, this is Danny saying thank you very much, and we'll see you next time.